Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. We're going to continue our Joshua series with week six. Week six, we only have a couple more weeks left of the Joshua series until we jump into something new. And so we're, we're starting to, to kind of get to the trail end of our, our Joshua series. But um, today I want to talk about doing things God's way. Doing things God's way. And uh, let me start off with a bit of an embarrassing story a little bit. So when I was in college in my undergrad, I entered in as most freshman college kids do. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had no idea what I wanted to study. And so for me, I was really someone who was kind of figuring out what I believed first. As most college kids, as you enter in, you're kind of going, well, this is what my parents taught me, and I need to kind of figure out my own faith. And I think about 18, 19, I would say I wasn't really walking with the Lord. I think I I knew him, I knew of him, I I had a lot of experiences with him when I was a kid, and so as most 18-year-olds do, you kind of break free of home and you go, I'm going to kind of figure things out. Because every 18-year-old thinks they're going to figure the world out, right? And, uh, and when I was in college, it was really all about making money. How, what's going what's gonna to pay me the most money? And so, of course, I was like, I'll be a chiropractor, right? <laughs> Those guys seem to make a lot of money. Um, and, uh, and so I started my, my college career studying to be a chiropractor, if you can imagine that, thinking where I am now. And I took a class my, I think it was my sophomore year, so I'm, I'm two years in at this point, and I took a biology class. And normally, you know, biology is, is not super difficult in my mind. You know, I can, I can draw out the cell and tell where everything is, you know, kind of that level of biology is where I'm at. Um, but for some reason, this class was super difficult. And I remember I, I tried so hard to do well in this class. And it, I can proudly say it's the only class I have failed and I failed hard. I, I remember being so confused on why I'm failing. Because I, I did everything I was supposed to do. I got the tutors. I mean, I was an athlete, so they were like, they just like throw tutors at you when you're failing stuff, right? I had the tutors. I went to the study groups. I went to every class. I remember it was about a class about this size. It was a fairly large class because one of those like prereqs for all medical students, right? And I remember like locking eyes with the teacher and she knew who I was. She was like... <laughs> You're the 47% guy. Like, and I was just like, I, I, remember, I remember went to her office so I can give her credit. Because she was a great teacher. I don't want to put her in any place. But I went to her office and I was like, I don't understand. Like, I'm really trying. And, I, and it's funny because like, I don't remember a time where I tried so hard and failed. I failed at things by just being lazy. But this was like, I really tried. I just was not getting it. And I remember her, her sitting there across from me at her desk and she's like, you have to really think, maybe this isn't the way you're supposed to go. <laughs> and I thought, I, I, I think you might be right. I think you might be right. And so I, I left that meeting with her as I was walking down the hallway. I think I was what was called the Sorensen Center. It's kind of the student union building. And I was walking, and I was kind of defeated at this point. I was like, boy, maybe school's just not for me. Maybe I'm just never going to, I'm just never going to have that that experience where I'm going to graduate. That's kind of where I was. I was very discouraged. I mean, spent two years preparing for something, thinking this is the way you were supposed to go. I ran into a buddy of mine. His name was Matt. His name was Matt. And he's like, Kelly, I just came out of the best class. It was awesome. And I was like, what was it? He was like, it was a history class. And it was so much fun. And I stopped right there and I said, 
I'm going to be a history major. And I walked right up those stairs. And I went to my advisor and say, I'm changing everything. Of course, they're like, wait, have you thought about this? Have you talked to your parents? I'm like, no, this is what I want to do. And that day I became a history major. And it was probably the best decision I made as an undergrad. It was, a, it was to change my major into something that I absolutely loved. I loved studying. In fact, there was a point by the time I graduated, I cared more about reading a book on history than I ever did being on the track, being with friends. I was an ultra-history nerd. And I think that, that that transition, that time of failure, into a place of, of pursuing something that I think God really wanted me to pursue is what led me here today. In fact, I don't... I mean, it's, the amazing thing is, is he put on my heart the desire to study the Hellenistic period. Now, this is a, a period, if you know history, which focuses on the life of Jesus. It, it encompasses the life of Jesus. And at that time, I, I didn't really care to follow the Lord. But you can see the Lord working in the strings now in the background going, oh, you just wait. You wait. Give yourself, wait for a few years. I am going to intervene, and you're going to do things my way rather than the way that you thought you were going to do when you were 18. Anybody else been there where God comes in and says, hey, you're done doing things your way? Let's try it my way for a little bit. And that's going to, that's going to be what we're going to talk about today because we all have plans. We all make plans. We all see our life going a, a particular way. But our plans mean nothing if we don't do them God's way. Our plans mean nothing if we don't do them God's way. So let's look at Joshua chapter 5. This, this is a passage that we're going to look at. We're going to only look at a few verses today, which I like because it really allows us to dig deeper into what these verses are talking about. Because I'm going to try to teach something today where I really want you to grab hold of that, the fact the Lord cares more about how we conduct our plans than if we achieve our plans, even if they're for him. That the Lord cares more about how we conduct our plans than if we achieve our plans, even if it's for him. All right, let's do it. So Joshua chapter three, or chapter five, sorry, verses 13 through 15. Let's just look at the first few words here. Because Joshua had a plan at Jericho. Joshua had a plan at Jericho. It says, when Joshua was near Jericho, let's pause right there. Now, now Joshua was a leader. And if you're a leader, you're usually some kind of a planner. Right? So Joshua and the Israelites, they were across the Jordan, looking at the city of Jericho. They crossed over, they cross over, and then they do a bunch of stuff to prepare themselves. Right? They get ready for the battle at hand. As most warriors do, they get circumcised. That's Okay, that happened. And then you have all these things that kind of prepare them for what we expect is to be a major battle. Right? The, the author is really setting us up to be like, okay, something amazing, some kind of a battle, some kind of master strategy is going to be put into place here. And you could imagine Joshua as a leader saying, okay, this is where the tribe of, of Israel is going to go over here. This, or, this is where the Danites are going to go. This is where, and we're going to have this like, city completely surrounded. And they have a, a master strategy of how they're going to take this city. We're going to take this city for the Lord. You can kind of see the, the Joshua's, the Israelites really kind of encompassing this idea of planning and strategy and how we're going to take this city for the Lord. And I think that's what the, the author here is really trying to set us up for is that Jesus, or Joshua is sitting next to Jericho planning a strategy for how he's going to take that city. Now, how many times in our life do we sit and we plan a strategy for how we're going to conduct something in our life, even if it's for the Lord? Right? We have a plan and strategy of how we're going to do it. I had a plan and strategy of how I was going to be a chiropractor. 
I had a plan and strategy. I was going to go to the right classes. I was going to get the best grades. I was going to do all the things I had to do in order to achieve what I wanted to get done. The author of, the, of Joshua really wants us to see how Joshua is, is planning a strategy for what is about to happen. We're expecting some kind of a master plan to come in these verses. Because often we have done all the necessary things to achieve a plan or even win the battle, right? A lot of us have, have been in things where we like, I did all the right things, but it didn't work out the way I expected it to work out. I did, I, I planned all the right ways. I did all the check marks. I did everything I was supposed to do, yet it didn't come through the way I expected it to do. You know, in my example, I attended classes. I went to the study groups. I, I had the tutors. The most frustrating thing about my experiences was I did everything in my power and still failed. You guys ever been there? You've done everything in your power. You've, you've searched over every rock and yet you still failed. I've sat in, and I was a, a church planner before I came here, and, and I remember sitting across tables with church planners, and they would have five strategies of how they're going to win their city for Christ. And I would think, great, it's good to have a plan. But yet, there was something missing from these plans. It was all about strategy, it was all about checklist, it was all about the plan of which I am going to implement in order to win, to achieve the things I have in my life, or for what I even think the Lord is calling me to do. There is nothing wrong with having a plan. You, you should have plans in your life. You should have strategies to do something well. The snare, though, the thing we have to be aware of is that often we are tempted to achieve them our way rather than God's way. And we have to stop, and we have to ask ourselves, are we working to achieve plans and strategies that are only the ways that we expect them to be done, therefore closing us off to the way that God may actually be trying to do it. And maybe his agenda is different than our agenda. Because even though I, in my own heart, in my mind, I, I wasn't really paying attention to the Lord in my pursuits of chiropractics, I know that the Lord was very strongly saying, I'm going to reveal myself in a greater way to you because you're choosing to live out this plan. He was just biding his time for me to fail so that he could pick me back up. Remember this principle, because this is a question we all must wrestle with when we set out to do plans. As Joshua was sitting before Jericho, planning how to lay siege, he, he had no idea what was going to happen in the next chapter, right? He had no idea. He was planning for a great purpose. But we have to be aware of is that we can prepare ourselves out of the presence of God that we can try to micromanage, we can try to prepare ourselves to the point where we are looking, God is not even a blimp on our radar in the preparations that we're making. We have prepared ourselves out of the presence of God, meaning that we have not made room for him within our plans, within our strategies. We're saying, we're going to do this. It may even be, we're going to do this for you, God. And he's going, no, you're not. You're going to try to do it your way. Let's try to do it my way. So as we think about plans, as we think about strategies, as we think about the things in our life that we have to look forward to, are we over-preparing to the place where we're not even leaving God room to, to work his plan amongst our plan? Is it about us or is it about him? We try so hard to achieve the plans we have that we do them excluding God, even if it's for him. I've, I've done this. 
I've gotten so excited about church programs and things for, we're going to reach the youth, we're going to do this and this, that I don't even include God into the planning process. I've done that. What if the Lord would rather be included into our plans rather than seeing us achieve something for him? What if his heart is more, I want to be included into the plan rather than seeing it achieve? What if the plan in our head is not what we think it is and there is something even better? His way. I think that's exactly what the Lord is about to teach Joshua. As Joshua is sitting there before Jericho, making his plans, making his strategies, thinking, boy, this is how we're going to win this city for you, Lord. I think this is exactly where God sends his messenger and breaks Joshua's plan. And look at Joshua 5, verse 13. He says, Joshua says, or Joshua then goes, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? He looked up. Now, this is a, a common Hebrew word, but it's one that I think the author is using to hearken us back into something prior. Because what we see in books like Genesis is when we, that word, he looked up, is being used, it's often used in the sense that God is going to intervene in a situation. Or he's going to bring a messenger in to bring a message from the Lord. The phrase is commonly used, but we also see it used with this sense of intervention. This is what it was like in my story of failure. I was so focused on making money, so focused on, on achieving the things that I thought I wanted and needed in my life. I wasn't looking up. And how many of us now are, are focused on only the things that we want to see achieved, focused on our plans, focused on our strategies, focused on what we think is best, that we aren't looking up? Are we looking up to see the way God is wanting to speak to us in our plans? I think some of us need to start looking up. Even in my own life, I need to start looking up more often in the ways and things that I want to do things. Joshua asks the man with the sword, as one would do, are you for us or our enemies? Are you going to help us achieve our plans or do I have to kill you so you get out of the way? Are you on our side or our enemy's side? Are you here to help us? Are you here to hinder us? These are the questions that Joshua was asking this person. Joshua was assuming that this combatant must be on someone's side. Of course, he, he must be on the good side. right? So Joshua was looking at it. The right side, the holy side, the righteous side. Or he must be on the bad side, the Canaanite side, the evil side. What you think, or we, what you would think would be the next words would go, oh, of course I'm on your side, Joshua. Of course I am. You're on the good side. You're on Jesus' side, right? Joshua was leading the Lord's people. Of course they would say, he would assume that this angelic figure would be on Joshua's side. Of course you would think because he's actively working to fulfill the purposes of God. Of course he's on Joshua's side. In his mind, anyone opposing him is opposing the purposes of God. How many of us fall into that snare as Christians? Where it becomes the way that we think, the way that th we do things, the way that we plan, that says we're on God's side. Everyone against us is, is 
on the enemy's side. You can see how it's so easy to polarize in a church. Become compartmentalized in the way that we think is the right way to think. Assuming that God is on our side in the way that we approach things. I've seen churches fully collapse because of this principle. Because some have thought, this is my way, this is the right way, therefore God is on my side and everyone else is opposed to him. Joshua is assuming that this combatant must be on his side, the good side. That's the first question out of his head or out of his mind. And that's the dangers of of choosing sides. This is what the angel is going to teach us because we do the same thing. You know, when I was failing my classes, my class, singular, when I was failing my class, there was a moment where I was even like, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you, why are you, you're doing some kind of confusion thing on me during these tests, right? You're trying to justify it any way you can. When you're failing, you try to justify it any way you can, right? And so I was, I was really kind of like, God, you're not on my side right now. I should be succeeding in everything that I do, even though I don't really talk to you and don't, you know, it's amazing how much you don't talk to someone you're not walk, you don't walk in with sometimes. I really wanted God to be on my side. I thought he would be on my side. How many of us expect God to be on our side when we bring that attitude, right? You know, it's, it's about me. It's about my way. It's about things I think is right. And then we're mad when God's like, no, I'm not doing it that way. When we expect people to be in our theological camps, we demand for people to think like us politically, theologically, whatever side. It becomes more of a polarization and a divisive target than anything else. After all, we all think, my side is the good side, right? When we do that, we have a hard time allowing God to change us. We have a hard time seeing the picture from his perspective. That's what we have to be careful. That's a, that's a real snare when we try to think that our way is the only way. Our way is the good way. Our way is the right way. And every other way is wrong. The messenger doesn't confirm either of Joshua's expectations. And in real classic godlike way, he says the word Hebrew word, lo. That's all he says. Lo. It just means no. No, Joshua. You're asking the wrong question. How many times did Jesus do that in the book of John where someone would ask a question and he'd go, actually, I'm going to slice through that a different way. You're asking the wrong question. Here Joshua's thinking, hey, what side are you on? And the angel goes, no. Wait, what? What do you mean, no? And here's a lesson that Israel will learn through its life and all of us must learn as well. It's easy to imagine that because we're the Lord's people that he's always going to do things our way. Israel were learned this lesson really a tough way through their, through their years of existence. And we must as well. Because it's possible for the Lord's people to get blinded by our way rather than remembering God's way. Maybe God is using these plans for a different purpose. What we're going to see in Jericho is not a master strategy and plan implemented by Joshua for the taking of a city, is it? It is a display of God's wonder to Israel and to the Canaanites, of his power, of his glory, of of what he can achieve. And this is what the angel of the Lord is coming to say. He's saying, your way 
is one way, but it's not the way that I'm going to do things. Not the way the Lord is going to do things. We see this lived out all through history. Let's look at the crucifixion, for example. Here you have Jesus, God in flesh, the Messiah of Israel, the one that if you were an Israelite in the, before the first century, you would have been dreaming about the day the anointed one came. But how many of those Israelites missed him because he didn't come the way they ex- he expected them to come? They expected a, a conquering hero, riding in and throwing out the Romans. What they got was this homeless rabbi who could perform some miracles. It wasn't what they expected. It wasn't the way they expected it to be. Not only that's rabbi, but he's someone who also claimed to be God in the flesh. You know, you don't kill the guy that does all the miracles. You don't kill the guy that raises people from dead. You don't kill the guy that, that heals the sick. You kill the guy that says, I am king and I am God. That's who you kill. They were expecting one way. They got Jesus, which was a completely different way than they expected, and they killed him. How many of us are expecting God to work in one way in particular, and we miss entirely what he was trying to do? The crucifixion is a great example of Israel, even though they were called to be the Lord's people, were blinded because they were stuck in their own specific way of doing something. They expected the Messiah to look like this. They wanted him to be something he was never willing to be. He didn't come in the way they expected. It wasn't part of their plan. There's no way of of Joshua knowing again what the Lord was going to do at Jericho. So I don't blame him for having a plan. I would have blamed him if he didn't have a plan. But we are like Joshua. We all see something ahead of us. We all see a Jericho. We're all standing at the precipice of a Jericho, of a plan, of even a battle that's ahead of us. We have a plan. What if God's will for us, though, is not to have a master plan for our life, isn't to approach our Jerichos with all the right answers? What if it's simply, his way is simply for us to be dependent on him? Hey, here's some good news. You don't have to have everything figured out. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be uncertain. It's okay to have doubts about what is going to happen tomorrow. That's okay. Because our way is not a way of having everything figured out. That's not the way. The way is being dependent on Jesus for everything. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this really well. I think it captures the heart of God really well. It says, For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. That he's searching the world, looking for those hearts that are fully devoted, dependent on him. This is the way that God asks us to live. Not one that says, I have all the right answers. I got the best strategies. I have the best plans. I'm the smartest in the room or whatever it is. It's no, I want the people who are fully dependent on him in every way of life. He says, you Israel, 
speaking of Israel, have been foolish in the matter. They haven't been dependent. Remember, this is a lesson they're learning, just as we learn it through life as well. Therefore, you will have wars from now on. How many of us war amongst ourselves because we don't trust God to be in our plans? How many of us war amongst the opinions and things of the world and the theological camps of the world because we don't, aren't dependent on our God? His way of dependency on him doesn't, doesn't mean that we get to just not plan and, and have kind of organization in our life. But what it does mean is that we do depend on him fully. We bring him, including him, into our plans. And this is why I brought the worship team up for this part, because Joshua's response is really important here. Look in 14 and 15 says, Then Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in homage and asked him, What does my Lord want to, want to say to a servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did that. Joshua's response is worship. Joshua's dependency is worship and humility. That's what his response was, was, hey, I know you got a great plan. I know you have a great strategy, Joshua, but it's not my way. My way is that you're dependent on him, and the first thing he does is he bows and worships the Lord. He falls on his knees and he worships the Lord. The foundation of worship is including God in a certain amount of time. Whether that be your entire life, of every second being day of worship, which is awesome, but also taking a time to say, hey, right now is a time of worship. It's like Proverbs 69 says, a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines the steps. Worship is how we seek after, including in the presence of God into our life. And before I, we release here to, to sing this song and then we'll do a response in communion. I had a, a friend in Salt Lake and she was a cancer survivor. Her name was Kristen. And she, she's actually battling cancer for a second time right now. But the first time you've talked to her, she'll say, the only thing that I could do, the only plan I could have was to worship the Lord. It wasn't my plan to get cancer. It wasn't my plan to be sick all the time. It wasn't my plan to have to rely on my family so much. But what she did is she included the Lord into what was happening. And what it was was she worshipped. She worshipped day in, day out, in her living room, in her car. All she did during that time was worship. And I think that's a great story to remind us that no matter where we're going, no matter what's happening, no matter what plans or battles or strategies we have to come up with in the future, we are going to, we are going to include God, we are going to depend on Him, and we're going to worship Him through it. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.